This is At Ease, the military podcast of Thomas Nelson Community College. I'm Gary Pounder, part of the military team here at TNCC, and on today's edition of the podcast, we are honored to be joined by Miss Taniki Richard. She is one of six global commencement speakers for the upcoming graduation ceremony at uh, TNCC, which is happening on 13 May. It's going to be a virtual event again this year due to COVID, but again, we're looking forward to the um, event as we honor the class of 2021 here at Thomas Nelson. And we're also really looking forward to what uh, Ms. Richard has to say. And Taniki, first of all, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the podcast. Hi, Gary. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really honored. Great to have you here. Talk about your background. Um, You do a lot of things now, but your career actually began, I guess we might say formally, in the U.S. Marine Corps. What made a young woman like you decide to become a Marine? My goodness, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know travel for me growing up as a military kid, my parents were in the Army, and we traveled a lot. Um, I grew up in many places. And we, unfortunately, ended up living in impoverished communities around the United States. My parents fell on hard times. They got into drugs. And so, needless to say, my my experience with um, just family life and home life and community was stressed. It was strained. I wanted to have a different life. I wanted a new opportunity for myself. I was the second oldest of seven kids. My parents, um, very proud of my culture, uh, cultural background in Trinidad and Tobago. And being a Caribbean family, being raised in America, we were already split. Mm -hmm. But I always had a sense of duty to community. And serving in the military was not only a way out for me, but also a way for me to build my character as a person who wanted to continue to serve their community. Now, obviously, you chose the Marine Corps. What made you gravitate toward the Marine Corps versus the other branches of the military? Gary, it was by accident. (laughs) (laughs) It's that way for a lot of us. Yes, it was. I stumbled into the office knowing I wanted to join a military service, not sure which one. And I went straight to the Air Force. Uh, My sister was actually in the Army, and she was a girly girl, and I thought, well, you know, I'm a little rough around the edges. I don't know if the Army might be the place for me, so I chose the Air Force. (laughs) Go figure. I know that's a little (laughs) bit um, ironic, but I went in there, and they kind of blew me off. You know, Mm. they were just like, well, yeah, we got our quota. Come back another time, and they didn't know my story. They didn't know how desperately I wanted to get out of the neighborhood and of where I was growing up. So I said, you know what? I I don't know if I can come back. And the Marine Corps recruiter overheard me talking and getting shunned, shooed away. And he stuck his head out of the, of the hallway and he said, hey, are you trying to join? And I said, yes, sir. He said, step into my office. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly how I ended up going to the Marine Corps. But a, a good choice. It was mm-hmm. a good choice, mainly because the honor, courage, and commitment that they stood for. I mean, once I saw the video, they put a lot of money into that video. They really do. And there was a great book uh, written uh, by a former Washington Post writer a few years ago called Making Marines that talks about, you know, literally how at boot camp they tear you down to build you up. And, you know, you have, 
some remarkable transformations yeah. that take place when you go through basic training in the Marine Corps, probably more so than the other branches of the service. I know that saying as an Air Force retiree because our basic training is, well, it's it's much more gentle than See, what I, you go through in the Marine Corps. I wasn't going to say that. You know, I was going to be, you know, try to be nice. And I know we always joke on each other, different military branches. But, you know, Marine Corps physically is definitely more challenging. Well, you go to boot camp and you come from a military family. Yes. Parents were in the Army at one time, had a sister in the Army as well. Did you think you were prepared for what waited for you at boot camp? And what was that initial adjustment and shock like for you? Absolutely not prepared. But I think being that I had this this fight in me, this fire inside of me, I just knew whatever would come my way, I was never going back. I was not going to go backward. So I, <laughs> upon getting to boot camp, I was a week late. Because of nine eleven, mm-hmm. when that happened, I was actually at the MEPS, what we call the Marine Corps Air Station. I mean, the Marine Corps Station where we got recruited and shipped off to boot camp. So the planes crashed right into the towers, uh, right before my eyes. I knew that my life would be different in the military, not based off of what people were saying, but okay, we're going to war. Mm-hmm. And so in that mentality, I was like, well, you know. It's a, it's a choice still. I I could have still said, you know what? I don't want to do it. They don't let you think that you don't have a choice. But I still had a choice. I could have went home, but I said no. And when I got to boot camp, um, it was real. Mm-hmm. Things became well, everything that I saw in the video. Uh, when you experience it in real time, it's. <laughs> It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. Now, were they doing the the Marine Corps has a what I would call a final or graduation exercise at boot camp called the Crucible? Crucible. Were they doing the Crucible back in those days? Oh yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. I mean, we I came in when we were still spit shining our boots mm-hmm. and um, our camis needed stay flow. I don't know if anybody out there who's military, old school, know what stay flow is. It'll keep your uniform real sharp. And so even if there's a drop of rain, you still have a crease. That's how sharp it was. But, um, you know, when I think I was the last of a dying breed of military members who went through the muck and the grut. And I, uh, a couple of years after that, I know they started uh, stress cards and caring more about the uh, recruit. They didn't care about us. Yeah, again, <laughs> They you wanted know. to make sure we got trained and we were ready for battle. But I would guess, too, having gone through the experience of boot camp in the Marine Corps, when you get that globe and anchor, yes. which kind of formally signifies you are now not a recruit, you're actually a Marine, that's got to be a really just a soul-stirring moment. Yes. Um, they wanted us to tear down our individuality so that we would know what it's like to be a team, to fight together. And then we couldn't say I. It was, you know, this recruit. And then we got the Eagle Globe and Anchor on on uh, graduation day after the Crucible. And um, my life changed. I actually shed a tear. I didn't think I would. But that's when the, the pride of being a Marine s- swelled up inside of me. Well, it really is an accomplishment. And as they say, there's no such thing as a former Marine. Once a Marine, always Marine. And that's... Yeah. You know, you don't hear that about my branch, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, the Coast Guard. So, again, it, it yeah. kind of identifies, you know, Marines as being special. Now, 
you made it through boot camp, yes. and then you went on and became – what what career field did the Marine Corps put you in? I was an aviation electronics countermeasures technician. So I guess I had a knack for looking at schematics and fixing secret gear. Well, I was on the rotary side. There's fixed wing and rotary. And so we, we worked on the uh, defense mechanisms on the aircraft. Uh, I loved it. The, Jamming the, pods, self-protection correct, dispensers, chass- things yes, like that. Yes, exactly. So infrared, laser um, frequency. We had um, also like what we called CPSs and ALQ-144s. It looked like a disco ball on the top mm-hmm. of the aircraft. That's what I fixed. Yeah. Yeah, and it was always a party in the office. Well, you know, as a former <laughs> air crew member, I, you know, again, we can't thank you enough because I actually did missions in Bosnia initially. At our airplane, the thought was we would never be over bad guy land. We'd be back beyond what was called the flot, forward line of own troops. Well, Bosnia, there really was no forward line, so we were a battle management platform. I was one of the intel crew on board, and all of a sudden, we're flying over Bosnia, and, you know, the bad guys are all over the place down there, and there are mountaintops where they can get on top of and maybe, you know, point a shoulder-fired SAM at you. So we actually worked to get a self-protection system for the aircraft, and it really made us appreciate not only our maintenance folks, but our our countermeasures folks who actually installed the system, maintained it. So if someone did take a pot shot at us, and luckily they didn't, yeah. you know, we would have at least something we could do in response other than, you know, go down in flames. Right. The chaff flares, they, uh, they, there's a lot of maneuvers, evasive maneuvers, and the, and the equipment that we worked on truly saved lives. But I didn't get a chance to see that or even understand how our job was so important, especially when aircrafts were going to and from on enemy grounds and the, if they were locked on missile infrared ready, mm-hmm. then it would be our equipment. We couldn't make a mistake. Oh no, you know, no margin for error. There was none. And so there was uh, me personally, I did my job and I prided myself on doing it. Well, I also had an opportunity to, at the time, I think a couple of years after I was in, they had lean six Sigma. It was something called airspeed and the Navy and the Marine Corps came together to push airspeed as a continuous process improvement, basically how corporate America would run mm-hmm. the, the belt line chains and bottlenecks to discover that variations in our processes saved the Navy lots of money. And I was able to be a, a green belt facilitator and black belt trained in that. And that was pretty cool. Outstanding. Now, of course, given the timing of your military career, you're actually at boot camp shortly after 9-11 go through training. I'm guessing that you found yourself going downrange pretty quickly. Tell us about your experiences going to places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, um, first time out, we went 13 months, and I had a small child at the time. Mm. I have two sons, but at the time, he, my oldest, he was about one and a half years old. So I find, found myself struggling to cope with the difference between now doing my duty and in my responsibility to my family. I didn't want to leave. I didn't mind going to Iraq, but uh, having a small child, I didn't want to go. That was my honest you know, opinion. But I signed up. You have to do your, your, your job. So getting to Iraq, they briefed us on a couple of things that we would have to do. I Within the first month, 
we had a night mission. I was the sergeant on uh, to take the secret operating gear from one FOB to another. So FOB is the foreign operating mm-hmm. base, and it was like zero two hundred. They briefed us on a different path that we were supposed to go, a safer path. But just like Marines, they want to get some. That's mm-hmm. what we call, let's get some action. We were the last night mission out. And uh, I guess the air pilot, you know, he thought, well, let me go ahead and look at look out for my troops and let me give, give them a little action. Well, we went into gr- enemy ground fire very quickly. And uh, before I knew it, we were being shot at and we were returning fire. And I, all I could think about was my son and being home. And we hear the stories all the time of our own Marines not coming back. And I work on aircraft. So right outside of where we worked on the van pad, what we called was like a bone. It was a graveyard mm-hmm. of aircraft that were shot down, blown up, uh, burnt severely bad. And we would have to go in there and salvage for parts. Yeah, basically cannibalization. Yes. Yeah. And so to fix the other equipment. Well, uh, <laughs> that I don't know why, but that stuck out in my mind, and I thought about would my aircraft be that one in the graveyard tonight? Sure. And um, it was very scary. It changed me completely. Actually, um, I had gone through a lot of stresses in my life, but that moment uh, changed my life when I when I thought that I couldn't fight back. What the Marine Corps taught me to do. I was an expert shooter. Uh, multiple expert shooter, and I couldn't fight back. I was cargo. Yeah. While the other Marines were shooting the fifty cal back, I sat there and looked at my rounds in my chamber, and I mean rounds in my magazine, and uh, looking at my M16, and thinking, what did I get trained for? I, I can't even fight back, and I felt helpless, and it was it was very um, it, it was a huge chink in my armor. And I, after that, I carried a lot of shame and, and guilt and hurt because I felt like I didn't perform the way that I should have. I felt like I didn't do the job that the Marines taught me how to do. And I, and I buried that down inside. Even though, again, your role at that point on that mission, you're simply a passenger. You're the technician who's going to get there. Correct. Put the equipment on the helicopter, then Correct. get back on another helicopter and go back to your main base. Yes. Have you ever thought about, you know, why you had those feelings? I mean, because, um, again, like I said, you know, you were doing your job. Your job at that point, obviously, was not to be, you know, firing back at the uh, bad guys on the ground. And, again, you know, yes. Yes. again, even though I had multiple missions over Bosnia, Iraq, and Haiti, I've never been shot at. Yes. So that would be a new experience for me. And it truly is talking to people who've been through that as you as you experienced it. It truly is a life-changing experience. It was. And Gary, the reason why I felt like that is because I passed out at some point or another in in that gunfire. And when I woke up, there was a, a younger Marine that was there. I was supposed to he was on the mission with me as well. And he was older than me. But he, he had a little bit of a, a mouth, so they <laughs> they they took him down a couple notches in his rank. So even though I was higher ranking than him, he was older than me, and we had a good um, understanding of who would be in charge, but I wasn't going to be a stickler about 
pulling rank or anything like that. He looked out for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he he made sure, you know, head was down and, you know, because it happened so fast that I really didn't think that we were going to be shot at. <laughs> you would think, again, why wouldn't I think that? I grew up in the ghetto, mm-hmm. and it's not like I heard, I didn't hear shooting before, but this was different. I, I think my naivete and, and, you and know, just being young and sure yeah i think and I and, and when it's aimed at you and you know right. when we're young like that we all feel like we're indestructible we're invincible and now all of a sudden you know someone is actually shooting at you and trying to do you harm yes. and again you know like I've, I've never experienced that i hope i never have to experience yes. that but it's yeah, i can easily see where that would be a life-changing experience and i know in reading you know the biography material i got on you today that incident kind of lingered in your mind. It did. And it kind of echoed, and it it, it, it caused some other issues, too, yes. that you had to work your way through. If you don't mind, share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, previous um, previously before going to Iraq, I, was, uh, I suffered from military sexual trauma. I didn't know that if the way that it happened where I was um, raped in the military, it it was not some violent act in the way that they show you on television. And I know even on campus, you know, they, they have the training, they tell you what to do, what to look out for. So you're looking for this big, bad, scary person that's going to harm you or jump out and, and um, harm your person. But that's not what happened to me in the military. It was a, a man who had a higher rank than me. So I trusted him. And we, even though we were going on a date I I didn't think that a Marine, a fellow brother in arms, would harm me in that way. And because of the way they trained us, honor, courage, and commitment, not everyone's honorable. Not everyone has uh, the courage and the commitment to do the right thing all the time. And so I fell victim to being uh, sexually assaulted. And then I convinced myself, well, you know, I'm not going to allow this to set me back. I'm not going to go back home. Because that's, again, that's what I was running from. So, again, dealing with that and then on top of combat trauma, Mm -hmm. it changed me. It changed me. And I wasn't ready to accept that. And so I fought against the, the issues that I was having when I came back from Iraq because I didn't know that I would have nightmares and uh, convoluted dreams and night sweats and anger issues and I had trouble reconnecting with my my child when I came back. Like, the emotion was gone. I wasn't the same person. And it was scary, and I didn't want to admit that I was scared. Sure. Now, going back to when you were a victim of sexual assault, and unfortunately it has become a serious issue in today's military, and quite frankly, more needs to be done to prevent it and to bring those who are culpable to justice. Absolutely. When you were a victim... Did the system work for you in the sense that was your attacker held accountable? Did you get the kind of help and support that you needed? I didn't, uh, mm. not till later on. What happened was at the time I was in C school, the command was cracking down on underage drinking. So in my mind, I made a mistake because this, this guy, he asked me if I wanted a drink. I took a sip and became immediately woozy, he slipped something in my drink. Mm. 
And because I didn't want to tell on myself or um, be in trouble, I didn't report it. And that was part of the predatorial plan. See, prior to that, a young lady who was in the barracks had reported a rape. She was gang raped by three other Marines. And because they had a couple of beers in the room, she not um, not only them, they did stand trial, but she also did too. Mm. And uh, she was busted down, reprimanded, and she was the victim. Yeah. And, so, and, and we've seen this happen, you know, across the military, where, and that is one reason that victims of sexual assault are so reluctant to come forward correct. because they often find themselves being punished as well when, as you point out, they are the victim. So correct. having undergone that trauma, having endured combat in Iraq, it created, as you indicate, again, a lot of stresses in your life when you got, I think you were stationed at Camp Lejeune at the time or uh, Cherry Point. Cherry Point, okay. Yes, Marine Corps Air Station. So piling on top of all of those experiences that were so negative, I repressed those. Um, I was having trouble on the job now. So there's really, back then, there's no compassion. If you can't carry out your job, you are a dead weight to the mission. And a lot of times I want to see that change because Marines can get help, still stay in, and do their job great. But with that mentality and the type of atmosphere that we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in arms and looking out for one another, un- another, when the when the rubber meets the road, it's about the mission. And they use that as an excuse to be total jerks. And I think um, the lack of empathy is 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 just astounding. Do you see that changing now? Because you're still around the military to some degree. You know, a lot of us are. We're in a huge military community here in Southeast Virginia. Do you see things changing and changing for the better, or are we still basically at the same place we were when you were going through this ordeal? Unfortunately, it's not changed enough to make a a huge impact. The VA has gotten better at recognizing MST for male and female um, survivors. So once you um, have been victimized and you live through it, you're a survivor. And that's a, another thing to keep in mind, that as survivors, now you have uh, an, op- an opportunity and an obligation to yourself to share your story, if you can, if you're in that headspace to do that. I was the suicide prevention facilitator. I was the sexual assault facilitator in my command and still did not have the courage to speak up about what was happening with me to the point where I buried it so deep that it all came rupturing up like a volcano one day. Um, It was just, it was no particular day that was special. My command, uh, my office was still being the way that they were. They already labeled me as, you know, ineffective, um, what they call a turd or, you know, what have you. And then they would call your names right in in your face, behind your back. So it was one of those days where I needed someone to reach out and and look out for me. And um, it just... It, it didn't happen. And my whole goal was to not show them that they got to me. I didn't want to cry in front of people. And that was the part of my pride, um, which, which hurt me back then. Hindsight, it hurt me back then because 
I was trying so hard to hold it together that I was bursting at the seams. And that's exactly what happened. I crashed right in front of the Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, attempting to commit suicide because I could not deal with the pain anymore. And what was the reaction you got from the system in the Marine Corps when that happened? They wrote me up. They said if I ever tried to do something like that again, I would get kicked out um, with a, a specific code that they use for admin separations. And they, they just honestly just thought that I was a malingerer. And in that moment, I said to myself, if I don't become a leader for me and speak up for me, I'm going to die. I'm going to die because it's going to happen again. I knew what, what, I, what I was feeling at that point. So I checked myself into um, the Camp Lejeune me- mental health facility. They were very upset. Mainly because when Marines go through something like that, even if it's 20 miles per hour over a traffic ticket, you go on the blotter. Mm -hmm. So it looked bad on the command. That's all they cared about. It it looked bad on the command. And they would sweep it under the rug faster if if they could. Sure. And so I was at the uh, mental health facility for about a week. And it just so happened that one of my other instructors who I I was uh, good friends with in in my command, he ended up coming there right before I was discharged out of the mental health facility. And I had no clue that he too was suffering with suicide and the things that he'd gone through because he came back from Iraq as well a couple years prior. And um, it was unfortunate to see him there, but it actually made me feel better, mainly because I realized for the first time I wasn't alone. He was a hard charger. Mm-hmm. I mean, very respected in the command. And so for me to see him and say, well, who am I to feel like I don't, I'm not worth this fight. And so that, and for the first time, it gave me courage to say whatever came my way. When I discharged, I said, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care what my family and friends will think. I'm going to advocate from this day forward for myself. And after you completed the uh, treatment program there at Cherry Point, how did that impact your relationship within the command that you went back to? And how did that impact the rest of your Marine Corps career? Obviously, hopefully at this point, you're getting better in terms of your mental health. But as you point out, especially in, in that time frame, and even to some degree today, there's still a stigma attached in going to get help and seeking help for these problems. Correct. And, you know, in in some senses, they they look at individuals who are going through these traumatic experiences and seeking help, as you said, you know, being an embarrassment to the command. Yes. uh, When I, prior to checking myself into the mental health facility, I went to my superiors. I went to my leaders and said, hey, I think I I need counseling. I'm not doing well. And they told me, well, you know what? If you can't, if you don't have your crap together, we're going to take you away from the students. We're going to stop you from doing your job because you're a liability. And I, it made me scared because sure. I was looking to get promoted. I wanted to continue to make more money and, and advance in my career for my kids at the time. And so I think that alone made me feel like I couldn't go back to my command and ask for help. So when I decided to finally advocate for myself, 
it was a battle between me and them to to the point where I was in the process of being medically retired mm-hmm. and they were upset about that. They wanted me to get out with nothing. Mm. And so they put me in a in a room next to a broom closet after almost dying on the battlefield, coming into the Marine Corps, almost 11 years, when I got my discharge papers from medical retirement, um, I think the command, my commanding officer said, get this piece of crap out of here. And I, without even a farewell, without even a thank you for your service, um, I had other people looking out for me and trying to do their best not to, you know, per se, rock mm-hmm. the boat. But I got out without even an afterthought to anything that I had ever done. Sure. Well, at least you got your medical retirement, so you you know yes. got the benefits you so rightfully, rightfully earned and deserve. And certainly we in the At Ease audience want to thank you for your service. Thank you. Under very difficult conditions and circumstances. And obviously leaving the Marine Corps, you start to rebuild your life. Tell us about that process, that journey that you went on. I'm so glad you asked that because the the process in that journey for finding out who I was wasn't easy. I first had to take responsibility for some of the things that some of the decisions that I made. And I'm not blaming anyone or you know, it's it's being transparent with yourself. What can I do at this point to overcome what has happened to me? And in that, by taking responsibility for some of those things, like I'm I'm not going to say that I didn't show up late to work at times because I wasn't sleeping. I had nightmares all the time. I wasn't sleeping. I was waking up late and that irritated them. And, you know, so I was thinking about all these things that um, where I could have done better. But then I also had to forgive myself. So I took responsibility and in taking responsibility, I forgave myself. And First. sometimes that is probably the, the biggest and most yes. important and the hardest step. Yes, absolutely. That was very painful. Lots of tears, mm-hmm. lots of uh, counseling, lots of prayers. I had to recenter myself and tap back into the spiritual, happy, loving person that I was. And it took a long time. Um, and I didn't give advice in that time frame. I wasn't trying to share any wisdoms or, you know, or anything that I could um, offer the community. I really focused on getting myself well and in my family too, because everything that I was going through, they were suffering too. Sure. And so I had to forgive myself for that as well, for hurting them in the process because they were hurting. I was hurting. And so the the journey with self-discovery for how I had to internalize and then externalize, find out where I can make these changes and actually hold myself accountable to these changes was it was a long, hard road. But I was glad to do it. I had to do it. And so I did. Was there any group or organization that really helped you during this part of your journey? And what did they do for you that maybe you weren't able to get through military channels? At first, I sought uh, help through the VA. And Mm -hmm. at the time, this was many years ago, they're doing really, I think, better now. I I really do. There's still some hiccups here and there. But when I found Wounded Warrior Project, or should I say, Wounded Warrior Project found me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were in the most, I think, 
beneficial place to help veterans. They understood them. The staff members, um, the veterans who were there already, very welcoming. I miss that camaraderie. And so that's what they gave me. First out the gate was the camaraderie, the care, the uh, understanding. You didn't have to share all the gory details of your story and your life. But if you came and you showed up, they were happy to see you. And so I didn't feel like um, a, a bad person or a turd or well, however the uh, active duty members in my command made me feel. I felt accepted. And so that was a turning point for me as well. Wounded Warrior Project helped me and my family by sending me on an odyssey. I was able to take time to challenge myself, um, get over my fear of heights, no go figure in the aircraft, get over my fear of heights and and start looking at myself from a different angle. And it was great. And after that happened, talked about how you created a new career for yourself. I had to reinvent myself. And that's <laughs> hashtag reinvent you. Um, so the, the first part to me sharing my journey was people telling me I should. I didn't think I, I would. Um, I didn't have any interest in it. I, I was volunteering in the community, and I was happy. I felt more whole than I had ever been, and people started asking me for advice because they saw the glow. And it's like, oh, my gosh, Taniki, you're glowing. Why? I mean, how are you going through all these things and doing all this, and you're glowing? So I started sharing my, my thought process with them. Then they came back. Wow, Taniki, you challenged me. This is amazing. Like, you actually live by some principles that – help you to really challenge yourself, take responsibility, and then empowers. And so that's how I started. And then a few other veterans asked me to write a book. It was like, you should write this down. I was like, well, I'm a poet. I love to write. I'll start writing it down. And I asked my husband, Brandon, who was also in Iraq with me. He was my battle buddy. He he said, well, you have a perspective that's unique to you and People are drawn to it. You should write it down. I said, so well, so do you. You're a part of that journey. So we decided as uh, co-founders of JT Inspire to write the book, Principles for Change, Three Keys to Overcome Trauma from His and Hers Perspective. We have a 21-year Marine, retired, 11-year medically retired Marine, and we're giving it all in, in this book, Principles for Change, to help other people and other veterans find out who they want to be. We certainly encourage people to um, seek out that book and read it, but give us some of the important takeaways from the book, some of the lessons that someone with a military background, maybe somebody who's still in uniform right now, can take from your work and apply to their lives. The power of body, mind, spirit, balance. That the Marine Corps does not teach you that. Okay, <laughs> the military does not have a, a, a hip pocket class for that. But it is so imperative that you keep your personal grounding in everything that you do. And so the principles that are in this book is it's never changing. You could apply it in any aspect of your life. The first one is just reversing negative thoughts of yourself and others. We have the other one, which is self evaluation self-elevation and then my favorite I, I guess it is my favorite because it's something to do it's a positive intentional action promotes a specific outcome so if you know that you're going to always be positive positively intentional in everything that you do having mind body spirit balance and then of course 
filtering out those negative thoughts of yourself and others so that you can see the world for the way that it can be idealistically and also practically. You said that some of the Marines you served with actually encouraged you to sit down and write the book. Just wondering what kind of feedback you've gotten from Marines you served with, from other members of the Corps, and from that that matter, members of the uh, wider military. I have more comments on my website, jtinspire.com. But I got feedback like, oh, my gosh, Taniki, this really mentally challenged me. This is something I was looking for. I also got feedback like, hey, this helped me in my marriage uh, for communication. I wanted to let go of a relationship, a friendship that I was was really uh, tumultuous. And I was able to do that and feel empowered by that and not feel guilty or upset. And then, of course, making the decision to forgive themselves. And that is, I mean, we have people drinking themselves into a stupor, trying drugs and all kinds of things because they don't really understand the process of forgiveness. They think it's an emotional reaction, but it's truly a choice. Now, you mentioned that along with writing the book, you have started an organization called JT Inspire. Yes. Tell us about that. What's the mission of the organization? What do you hope to achieve? The mission of JT Inspire, well, first I'm going to tell you what JT Inspire means. I get that a lot. What does JT mean? Jump to inspire. And as a mother, I thought about, you know, what really and truly inspired me to become an entrepreneur. It was my kids, uh, Jermaine and Terry. So the J and the T is personally for me means Jermaine and Terry. Then, of course, as a business mindset and branding and marketing, I had to think about how could I translate that over into action. So jump to inspire is not just a feeling, it's an action. When you are inspired in the community or you have a mission or a goal to make people better or do better in your community, it requires action. So the mission that we have for JT Inspire is to help heal survivors of abuse, empower them, provide resources and and resources and tools that will allow people to professionally and personally develop. A lot of times you go into a job and you lack the self-confidence and you can't accept the outcome of that job interview because you, you came in just straight from the door. You were already off. So some of the things in in our book and what we talk about helps with building that confidence. It's not about public speaking and getting every word right and not making a, a mistake when you're giving speeches. It's about building the confidence, telling your story in um, with courage and knowing how to use that to leverage your unique ability to offer your skills, time and talent. Uh, how much of your work with your organization right now is aimed at veterans in the military community? And are you getting any kind of support from, you know, for lack of a better term, the command structure? Are you allowed to work with people on base, you know, through various programs, organizations, say the mental health clinic? I'm glad you asked that because, yes, that's exactly what we what we do. And we try to stay in our lane because a lot of times we have a survival Um, suicide prevention facilitator awareness classes that they need a speaker for so we do those Um, we have uh, organizations community organizations that hire us contract us as facilitators so I actually have a retreat coming up in September it's 
pretty full right now. Hopefully, with the list growing, we'll have more women veterans that want to come and get that one-on-one workshops that's going to help them to advance their personal lives. And so our command, we're working with the Army right now to contract and actually come on base and talk more in a candid and you know, what's better, what, what's a better option for a military person to come on and talk to other military members? We know I can level with them. I know what happens. And so we can talk about a, diff, a lot of different scenarios where there's a trust there. And so I think that's important. And we've already had a couple of contracts where we were able to come on and do that. So hopefully this will go worldwide. And that's got to be gratifying to you as a survivor yes. of, you know, abuse and the trauma of combat and the reaction that you got at the end of your Marine Corps career. And now instead of, you know, trying to be pushed out the gate as quickly as they, they, they possibly could. Now you're being invited back and recognized as an expert and someone who's really bringing something to the table in terms of services support for young military members, military members of all age who may be going through similar problems right now. And that kind of leads me to my next question. We obviously have a lot of folks who are still wearing the uniform in our audience out there, recently uh, separated veterans, retirees, who are struggling. Yes. And we see that in the suicide rate for the active duty population, for veterans, retirees. For that military member, current or former, who is struggling with some of the issues that you faced, what kind of advice would you give them? To be a better leader, you first have to advocate for yourself. You cannot fight anyone's battles if you're not willing to fight your own. And when you talk about charging the hill, we're talking about that in your full life, charge the hill, attack those traumatic things that are just bogging you down every single day. You don't have to suffer in silence. Why survive it alone? You have people who are willing to listen, to help you, and to empower you so that you can face yourself every single day. So you don't have to survive it alone. And why survive when you can thrive? And that's what we talk about in my Thriver Squad now. I'm this Thriver Squad leader mm-hmm. in a private group for veteran professionals and survivors of abuse. Right now you can go on my website and uh, sign up for free all of May. Um, we have a monthly membership. But the, the what you're getting is that one-on-one, that camaraderie, but also a safe space where you don't have to come in with your titles. And a lot of times that's a reason why people don't speak out about the things that they're suffering with because they don't want to say something that's going to make them look, they're going to be judged. Mm -hmm. And, oh, because you're president of so-and-so, that means you can't be struggling with a childhood abuse trauma thing. What does that mean if you are a constructor or, or you are a facilitator or a coach, a life coach? That means you can't come in and talk about you because then people are like, well, you're jacked up. Well, how can you help me? Well, this space is for you. If you are a professional who needs a place that they can talk about what has happened to them without judgment, without, you know, some type of recourse, that is what Thriver Squad will offer. Uh, Very briefly, we mentioned at the top of the podcast, you're going to be one of our commencement speakers next week here at Thomas Nelson. Now, we don't want to steal your thunder, but... (laughs) What are some of the things you want to impart to the class of 21 and everybody else who's going to be in the audience? 
I uh, used the hashtag already somewhere in our interview, hashtag reinvent you. A lot of times when you are thinking about your career path, you're not thinking about yourself. Think about how you would be if you were to partake in a journey of picking and choosing a job that's going to allow you to be you, that's going to accept you, that's going to uh, value you for your time, your talent, and your skills. Think about those things. But you also want to think about who you will be by joining or stepping into this new opportunity. And that's what my speech is about, reinventing you so that you can change with the times because times are actually changing and they're happening very quickly. Indeed. Indeed, and we're certainly looking forward to your address to the uh, class of 21 next week. Very quickly, uh, Taniki, how can people buy your book? How can they access your website? How can they join uh, JT Inspire? I'm so glad that you shared that and asked that. JTinspire.com. Just head on over there. You can find me on all my social media outlets, how to sign up for Thriver Squad. And right now we are doing a four-week life challenge that's actually breaking down the book. I've never done that before. So you want to jump in there and uh, for the month of May. And then also you can purchase the book at the shop on www.jtinspire.com. Very good. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the podcast. You've got a great inspirational message, and we hope you will keep bringing that to the folks who need to hear and need to, you know, receive that kind of support in their lives. Thank you, Gary. That's Miss Tariki Richards. She is an author, speaker, entrepreneur, someone with a message that you really need to hear. We encourage you to seek out her book and her website. And we should point out, too, that she's also Sergeant, U.S. Marine Corps retired. So we thank her for appearing on the podcast. This has been At Ease, the military podcast of Thomas Nelson Community College. I'm Gary Pounder. Thanks for listening.